Welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go inside what makes a coach a coach. The Guardians of the Game podcast is a production of the National Association of Basketball Coaches and Learfield IMG College, brought to you by Wilson Sporting Goods. And now, here's your host, Dave Odom. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Today's guest is the second-year head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, Tom Crean. Tom, welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Uh, I know our listeners are going to be excited about hearing your story. Well, I appreciate it, Coach, and I appreciate you on behalf of the NABC uh, asking me to do it and giving me this opportunity, and it's great to be able to talk to you in this context. All right. Well, let's get going here. Um, you were born in uh, Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Now, is that Upper Peninsula? I hear all the Michigan people talk about Upper Peninsula. Is that where that was or not? No, we were right in the middle of the state and, and, and literally in the middle and uh, very close geographically to most of the cities, probably anywhere from four hours away, maybe three and a half, four hours away from the Upper Peninsula, but two and a half hours from Detroit, hour and a half from Lansing, hour from Saginaw, two hours from Grand Rapids, very centrally located, hence the fact that Central Michigan University is the uh, university there. So it was a great place to grow up. So that was an easy choice for you. I mean, you you went to Mount Pleasant High School and, um, you know, uh, you played basketball there. I know in one of the um, bios that I saw, it said uh, you didn't play a lot, but you learned a lot. Uh, tell me about your high school experience. Well, I had a lot of things go on in high school, you know, sometimes with illness and things of that nature. And, and I loved basketball and I wasn't I worked very hard at it. I just was not very good at it. And, and, but at the end of the day, uh, I was surrounded by guys like my high school coach, Denny Kuyper, and my high school, my other high school coach, Ted McIntyre, uh, JV coach, Gary Smith, people like that, that did so much for me in high school of, of, of bearing with me, staying with me, understanding I had this love of the game. And, and, and then I wasn't a very good student either for different reasons. And, um, I had to go to community college for the first year to mid Michigan community college. And I got a chance to start coaching at my old high school at Mount Pleasant high right after that. And that was phenomenal. And I did that for two years, uh, solely after high school. And then I got a chance to coach with a man named Ralph Pym, who was just one of the most phenomenal human beings you could ever be around. And I coached with him for three years at Elma college, a division three school about 25 minutes away from Mount Pleasant in the MIAA conference with Hope and Calvin and Albion and Adrian and people like that. And I coach during my years at Central Michigan, I coach at not only Mount Pleasant High School, but at Alma College while I was going to college. And I'm very proud of the fact that I was able to do that uh, and, and have those people be there with me to help guide me and to learn the things that I did and to get my degree from Central Michigan after that. Now, you, you said something that's really interesting to me. I mean, so many coaches that I talked to, they had stellar playing careers in high school or college. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it seemed like it tracked a lot easier. Uh, you just said you didn't. You said you were not that good of a player for different reasons, but you worked hard at it. You weren't that good of a student, but you worked hard at it. And, and uh, I think that says so much about who you are and where you are now and uh, I think it, 
if if um, and there's got to be a lot of young coaches out there, aspiring coaches that heard that that would take uh, motivation from that. I at least I hope they would be. Oh, absolutely. Because here's the thing: I worked really hard at basketball. I didn't work. I didn't work very hard at school and high school. And I think what's helped me as a coach, I had to work extremely hard in college uh, to be a student. And and I think what's happened for me, and I think this is so important for young coaches, that our mentoring students. Okay, we the light bulb goes on for us at different times, for all of us, for every one of us. And you can't turn on, turn off somebody based on exactly how you would like it to be. You have to keep helping them raise their level. You have to keep seeing it, okay, see it from their eyes while you're trying to get them to see it through your eyes and how the importance of it is. And those type of things, I mean, I'll go back to one of the most instrumental or some of the most instrumental people for me growing up were guys I never worked or played for. Charlie Coles, who was the head coach at Central Michigan. Dave Ginsburg, who was the assistant coach at Central Michigan. I I had... Guys like that, to go along with the people that I mentioned before, that took a real interest in me, and and I look back at that now, and I knew that it was important then, but I have even no idea. I had no idea how important it was for people to give me that guidance, stick with me, when I didn't always see it the way that I should see it. But I think they saw a passion for basketball, a love for the game, and somebody that wanted to work with other people. And um, that's so important. You cannot, just because you don't see it in somebody right away because they don't see it, doesn't mean that you can't keep helping guide them to see it. And I think that's so important for young coaches to understand with young players. 1989-1990, you obtained a graduate assistance position at Michigan State under the great Judd Heathcote. There was another guy on that same staff, Tom Izzo, and a, a really close bond uh, began to form at that time. But Judd Heathcote was the coach, and he was the guy that was uh, really directing things at that time. Tell me about the, uh, re- you know, the relationship that you begin to, to form with uh, Coach Izzo, also the experience of, of watching Judd Heathcote. He was a funny man. He had great stories, but he was also a great coach. He had a, uh, the ability to... Uh, form relationships with his players. A guy like Magic Johnson came in there. And what was it around, uh, like being around that type of environment in 1989-90? Well, I'll go even before that, Coach, because this is what really brought it up. I uh, I would see Central Michigan practice. But the first outside of Central Michigan practice I ever saw in college was a Michigan State practice that Mike Dean uh, allowed me to come to. And what was so interesting about that, I got to see Scott Skiles practice. And, and it was phenomenal to be able to do that, an old Jenison Fieldhouse. And after that practice, I met Tom Izzo. And, and Mike Dean spent some time with me. Here's Mike Dean. To me, he's larger than life. He's Judd Heathcote's top assistant. He gave me a copy. And this is another thing for coaches to understand, it, to leave young coaches with something. He gave me a copy of Judd Heathcote's 2-3 matchup zone booklet, which was really probably 35, 40 pages. And I remember being so proud, taking that back to my head coach, Ted McIntyre. And he said, you know what? You really struck gold. This is hard to get. And I felt really good about that. And, and what it did is it made me even more of a Michigan State fan. And there along the way, coaching at Elma College, 
I got to know those guys more. I got to know Tom Izzo more. And Tom Izzo did something for me the summer before my last year of college that it, I, I can never describe how, how important this was. He took a road trip. This was back in the days, which you'll remember. You had the road trips of Five Star, uh, the Dave Kreider camp in Cincinnati, Beastie Camp in Rensselaer, Indiana. Tom, instead of flying, drove, let me go with him. We shared the driving, okay? And he took me on a four-day trip that was so instrumental. I would have never been able to be on a trip like that without him. <laughs> and, and we spent time talking about recruiting processes, talking about recruiting, about coaching, staying at you know, Red Roof Inn or a Super 8 or something like that, eating on the road. And I, I almost remember it vividly as I'm sitting here telling you this story because he never had to do that. And that says so much about who Tom Izzo is as a person. And our friendship really stemmed from there. And he was really the key guy to get me at Michigan State. And I'd had a couple of other opportunities that year to go some other places as a graduate assistant. But I made $7,200 there that year, took classes, and it was like I was making a million because I was working with Tom Izzo. I was actually living with Tom Izzo, as was Jim Boylan, the head coach of the Chicago Bulls now. And so we were paying Tom Izzo $200 a month for a, for a room at uh, his house. He actually bought another house, so we moved to that other house. His mother is probably still mad at me because I never bought a bed. All I had was a mattress. I had no dresser. I kept everything in a box. And uh, uh, Jim lived there. I lived there. And we had so much fun. And it was such hard work. But we had so much fun. And we won a Big Ten championship that year. Went to the Sweet 16 in New Orleans and lost to Georgia Tech. But working for Judd Heathcote was a treasure because I was around a legend. And I got to see why. His, his details on fast break basketball, on offensive basketball, were second to none. He, he was demanding. He was driving. Uh, he, wanted, he wanted perfection, but he loved his players. And he knew. He said something to me one time at breakfast. He said, if you worry about the players liking you while they're playing for you, you'll never be successful. You want them to love you when they're done. And the only way that happens is if they respect you while you're coaching them. And I'll never forget that. I'll never, ever forget that. And he was so right. And Judd Heathcote lived that. All right. Then uh, we move forward. In 1990, you, uh, you got involved at uh, Western Kentucky with the head coach, uh, Ralph Willard, who I know very well and I know to be a great basketball coach. Uh, and you were there for a short period of time, but an important period of time. Um, tell, tell us about uh, Western Kentucky. Well, that was phenomenal for many different reasons. And I never knew Coach Willard. I met him briefly at a Final Four. I believe it was in Indianapolis. I don't remember exactly the city that the Final Four was in, but, but I was recommended to him. And I went in there for an interview. And uh, I was fully set to go back to Michigan State for another year as a graduate assistant. But he offered me the job. And um, it was my first time really being away from home outside, outside of that hour and a half away from Mount Pleasant and Lansing. So I had to make that adjustment, which wasn't easy, which has really helped me as a coach when players may have to make that adjustment of moving away to the university that you're at. But working for Coach Willard was an indoctrination into how to run a program, how to have an innovative, creative mindset, how to truly put individual improvement at the forefront of your program to build a high, high level of confidence 
and your players and what it means to really give your coaches responsibility and, and demand it from them. All right. It was, it was, it was a very, very hard driving atmosphere and I loved it. I loved it. It, it was, it was, it was such a challenge, but to me to work for him, put me in motion to be able to go and help Tom Izzo. I was with Ralph for five years. I was with coach Willard for four years at Western Kentucky and one year at Pittsburgh. And then to go and help coach uh, Izzo for four years, I thought being with coach Willard really made such a huge difference. And there's no question that my time with Western Kentucky and Ralph Willard helped me in my nine years at Marquette. But I made a call one time to coach Willard and left him a message my first year at Indiana with everything that we were going through at Indiana. If I hadn't worked for him and gone through the things with him and seen the way he did it, there is no way I'd have been able to handle those first couple of years at Indiana, especially that first year with everything that we were dealing with. So I loved it. And we went from a team that had seven, eight points returning the first year that we were there to the Sweet 16 the second year. Our third year, I should say. I'm sorry. Third, the third year, we were in the Sweet 16 against Florida State. And um, I just loved it working for Coach Willard. And it was extra special because there was a family called the Harbaugh's that were coaching on the football side. And Joni Harbaugh had moved from Pittsburgh uh, shortly after I did. And we started dating later that first year and eventually uh, got married while we were still at Western Kentucky. So I ended up, uh, that's the best part of it, that I ended up meeting my wife. Briefly, what's it like for, uh, let's say, Thanksgiving or Christmas or holidays? I mean, do all the Harbaugh's get together? And can you talk about anything besides football and basketball? Uh, The only other thing that comes up is family. So that's the only other thing. But there haven't been very many of those instances, but they've been great. And one night at Thanksgiving, uh, we watched uh, John and Jim play, the Ravens and 49ers. Uh, a couple of years ago, the year that I was in between Indiana and Georgia working with ESPN, we went for Thanksgiving to Jim's house when they, right, right before the Ohio State game. But as far as having full family Thanksgivings, those are really, really few and far between. It has to happen at other times. But they're phenomenal, and you never forget it. All right, you go to Marquette, head coach, 1999. You stay there nine years. You're, uh, you're coming into an environment where it's a, a small Catholic school, um, but it's got a wonderful tradition. I mean, you go back to Al McGuire. You go back to Hank Raymonds. You go back to Rick Majerus. Uh, NCAA championships, I believe that was in 76, 77 maybe. Um, I, 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 I'm doing that off to my brain here because uh, I was an assistant right at Wake 77. Forest. Part, 77? Yep. Yeah, I thought it was because I was assistant at Wake Forest and we played uh, Marquette in the final eight in uh, Oklahoma City. And we were winning at halftime. We had a really good team. They had a really good team. Bo Ellis and, and uh, all these great players that they had. And we were winning at halftime. I'm thinking, you know, we're going to the Final Four. And we come out in the second half, and they have switched to a triangle and two. I'd never seen one in my life, and nobody else on our staff had either. And it just stifled us for the whole half. And after the game, um, I kind of heard Al McGuire say, 
He'd never heard of it either, but Hank, Raymond, uh, Hank Raymond's had, and he, had, he talked him into putting it in, and they beat us. And they go on and win a national championship. I'll never forgive them for that. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, your experience at Marquette and what that was like. Well, it, it was an honor to get that job. I mean, it really was. And um, I, I knew of the tradition. You know, one thing that I wasn't even aware of, I didn't know they were the Golden Eagles. I still thought they were the Warriors. We'd had a play at Michigan State that we took from Mike Dean, and we called it Warrior. And uh, I just had thought that uh, uh, that's what they were. So I didn't, I didn't let that on to anybody at that point. But we spent nine years there, and it was a great community to live in. It's a campus of 11,000. The Jesuit education, the Jesuit people were so good. Our president, Father Robert Wilde, was tremendous. Our athletic director, Bill Cords, was tremendous made some great, great friendships there and, and really, really enjoyed it. And, and what we, what we ended up building our day, which is so important is we had a, we had a, a brain trust of how to run that program. You know, obviously there's no football. And so the basketball has got to be the bell cow of that, of that university. And it was a partnership, you know, with the president, our vice president, Greg Klebon. Uh, a great benefactor of the program named Dick Strong, some other benefactors that got involved. Our athletic director, Bill Cords, we made, and then later on, a guy named Mike Broker, who became a deputy AD there. So many things came alive in how to build a program. And we went from averaging 6,700 fans my first year to 16,453 by my last year. And it was such a, it was such a thrill to be able to try to build something that was sustainable. And uh, we were able to recruit. We were able to recruit in our first class uh, guys like Scott Merritt, Terry Sanders, Odarte Blankson. But the one that really made a difference was Dwayne Wade. And he came in and did not, uh, was not eligible his, his uh, freshman year. But he practiced every day, played every day, couldn't travel with us, uh, but played those last two years with us. And it, that program got things set in motion for us to really have a sustainability, which Marquette still enjoys to this day. So. That tradition mixed with really working at it day after day to not take any of it for granted as a head coach helped me understand just how important it is that you have a team of people working around you constantly. All right, we're on the back half here, and I want to cover uh, your time at Indiana. I mean, you, you go from uh, Marquette, uh, a school that's uh, relatively small uh, in, in terms of some of these mega universities that we, that we deal with, uh, you've elevated them to national status uh, across the country. And, and then you get the opportunity to go to Indiana, which is one of those mega universities. And basketball is uh, the most important sport at that, at that school. But you, you went in there at a time where there was a good bit of turmoil there, and you had to deal with some things on the front end before you could get the, the program started. Tell us about that. Well, that was one you, you walk into a situation and you have an idea that there's some things that aren't good, but, but you, you, you feel so strong about the name, about their tradition, about what had happened there, about what Bob Knight had done there, that you kind of overlook it. But all of a sudden you get in and you realize you overlooked quite a bit or you weren't, I shouldn't say you overlooked, you weren't aware of quite a bit that was going on there. You weren't made aware of quite a bit that was going on in there. And those first three months inside of those first three years were just a test of wills. And they really were. I mean, it was, I learned a lot about myself. 
our staff learned a lot about their, themselves because we gave up a really, really good situation at, at Marquette, a really good situation with really good kids. We had four guys that we left back there that scored over 1,600 points. Hmm. But when you care about something enough, and that's what happened with Indiana. It, it, we, we had a, I went in there a fan of Indiana, all right? And I was not a native of Indiana, but I was an admirer and I was a fan. And without that, there would have been no way to really work through diligently to help get that without, without really having some, some potential damage to your psyche as to how hard this is. But I loved it, and we got through it. And guys like Tim Buckley and Benny Seltzer, this is, again, for young coaches. It's not just the alignment of the administration that you have, because we had it phenomenal at, uh, at Marquette. But it's the alignment of your staff. And there, there's an old saying that the chemistry of your team starts with the chemistry of your staff. It starts with the chemistry of the building before it can ever permeate into your team. And that is exactly what had to happen for us at Indiana. And it's the ability to help each other get through things that are hard. It's understanding that no one's to blame. we got to fix it. It's coming in every day with what are we going to make the solution be because we've already identified what the problem. Let's not spend a lot of time dwelling on the problem. Let's come up with a solution and some other solutions. And what that time did for me, Dave, is it really, it really re-exemplified how much I love coaching because we had to find ways to be even in game, all right? let alone have a chance to win them. We had to find ways to be in them because we were really dealing with, we, we'd had some real APR issues. We were dealing with a lot of walk-ons, a lot of new players. My first year there, we had 28 points returning in that program, young man named Kyle Tabor, who'd been a former walk-on. That's what we had back. And we had to start from there and it took a while to do it, but surrounding yourself with a staff, like I had with Tim Buckley, like I had with Steve McLean, like I had with Benny Seltzer, those, those guys in those early years, how important that is. Brian Baroni, who's a head coach now at SIU or Edwardsville, building the program that way, it, it, it's so important that the chemistry of your staff is understood that that's going to lead to the chemistry of your team. And uh, I learned a lot about that, and we were able to persevere. We were able to recruit. We were able to build it up, and it ended up being something really special. Yeah, you, had, uh, you won the Big Ten Championship uh, in the regular season uh, two years and named Big Ten Coach of the Year in 2015-2016. Uh, so uh, you, you took them from – where they were when you got there to heights, uh, you know, not national heights, but uh, you got it in in shape for, you know, future years to come. So you did really well there. But I want to I want to kind of move forward to the present. Um, you decided uh, to take a year off, uh, kind of back off and just uh, kind of refresh yourself and think about what you want to do and where you want to be. Uh, I'm sure you had several offers, but. Uh, you looked really comfortable in the ESPN analyst chair to me. I thought you did a marvelous job. I saw you on several occasions. Uh, it looked like you were comfortable. I'm saying, you know, he may be there for a long time. And then all of a sudden, I hear there's, there's rumor that you're going to maybe uh, uh, talk to the University of Georgia about their open position in, in basketball. And next thing I know, uh, you have taken that position. Uh, Georgia's a lot different than, than Indiana. You go to Indiana, basketball, you are owned by the state 
from a, a basketball standpoint. Georgia, SEC, football, that owns the state. What makes you think Tom Crean is a good fit for Georgia basketball, and what makes you think Georgia basketball can hold its own? Well, I think it's because I have a passion for wherever I'm at. I, I really, I, I, I really always have, and, and to me, that's the that's the the most important thing that you can possibly get. And um, to me, to me, being able to do that is so important when you go through things that you you love where you're at, you believe in the people that you're with, and that there's a passion in the fan base. And when you look at the passion of this fan base that's here at Georgia, and when you look at the way that they care for this football team and other sports, there's no reason for me to believe whatsoever that we can't turn this. We've sold more season tickets this year than they ever had in the past. We set an attendance record for most people to come through the building uh, last year. Well, I'm part of break that and people are buying in. I mean, they are absolutely buying in and I think they're buying in because they know we're trying to give them something that they can really be excited about, get behind, watch us grow inside of that, but that we appreciate that they're here. And I don't think there's any question that we can turn this and, and make this something. I mean, Billy Donovan did it uh, with the guys at Florida. I mean, you, you, there's, there's ways to do this and you know that there's ways to do this and there's ways to, uh, build the basketball the way you've done it at South Carolina. There's ways to get people to understand, you know what? Basketball can be pretty special too. And we can have a lot of fun. That's what we're trying to do. All right. And finally, uh, Tom, uh, two things here. One, um, you know, you have served on lots of national committees. Uh, you have, uh, held some positions, uh, on, on some of these USA basketball, uh, teams that go overseas and compete for international championships in the summertime. In, uh, for instance, in, in 2004, you served as, a, as an assistant for U.S. basketball, USA basketball under-20 team in the um, FIB, uh, FIBA uh, championships. Uh, would, is that something you'd recommend that uh, young coaches try to get involved in as quickly as they possibly can? Oh, I think so. I, I enjoy that. I've gotten a chance to be a court coach out of Colorado Springs the year before or two years before, whatever it was. And I love that. I made some lasting friendships there. It just gives you a whole different perspective to see the game. But that year that I spent, uh, it was Calvin Sampson. It was Dan Munson and myself. It was 19 days away from home, but I loved it. It was a basketball education. And I loved working with Calvin. Uh, at that point, he was a close friend of mine. And, and I just loved being a part of that, you know, the scouting, the preparation, the, uh, the practices, seeing what made Kelvin so successful, working with Dan, working with those players. Chris Paul was on that team. I mean, there were so many different guys, uh, getting a chance to work with Jim Tooley and Sean Ford and, and, and being in the environments. We were in Nova Scotia and being inside of those games. And it's just the indoctrination that you get of having your mind broadened in basketball is phenomenal. And I'd recommend it for anybody that can get involved. No matter what role you can get in, take it because it's worth it. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to be better off. And then finally, uh, let's say I'm a high school coach and I come to your camp in the summertime in Athens, Georgia, and I get a chance to talk to you and I say to you, uh, Coach, what would you advise me to do? I want to 
I want some upward mobility on in, in coaching. What, what, what should I do? I would say this. A lot of times it's the spirit and energy that you show, the confidence that you have, not the arrogance that you have, but the confidence you have and what you can bring to a program and what you're willing to do to help make that program better. It's not, well, I'm ready for this, and I've worked hard to get this, and I've worked hard to get that. People really don't want to hear that. They want to hear, are you going to impact that program in a valuable way? Are you going to bring what you know, and are you going to bring a work ethic and a passion and an energy to help make that program better? Okay, you and I have both done this for a long time. We're both learning every day. Okay, that goes with it. If you have a growth mindset, you know you're going to learn. But coaches and programs, they want people that are going to bring value. They want people that they don't have to filter through uh, what they're saying, why they're saying it. They want people that aspire to help a program be better, not just ambition in a way that they want to climb the ladder. So the more that you can study the game, the more that you can work to make players better, the more that you have skills in video, analytics, academics, mental health, uh, strength and conditioning, all those different things that can add something to a program that's going, you never know when it's going to be needed. And it's not just about having the role that you're, you're in and being able to accept it, but it's about being able to see around corners and helping other people do their job in a good way. And that's the advice that I would give. And I would say study the game constantly. Study the pros, study Europe, study high school, study college, study other sports. Study the game and study leadership. And the more that you can do that, the more that you've got a chance to come in and impact the program. Wow. That's a uh, wealth of uh, knowledge and, and advice uh, coming from someone who's experienced all of that. So uh, at this point, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast and especially to our championship coach, Tom Crean. And uh, Tom, I want to wish you the best of luck with Georgia this year as you take another step forward in, in the ever-tough uh, SEC. And uh, I hope you'll have a chance to listen to some other podcasts that come along later on. So good luck to you this season and, and in the future. And to those that want to learn more about the podcast and the NABC, they need only to visit the NABC.com. <laughs>